You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Houston, episode 16, Moses in the Wilderness. What does these three Bible greats and their times have in common? 1700 BC, Joseph in prison. 1480, Moses in the wilderness. 1000 BC, David in the desert. Each of them fulfilled their callings and biblical purpose. Each of them walked in destiny and changed the world and watched God perform wonders. But before they arrived at the point of their destiny, they spent time in the wilderness. Welcome to the time, 1480 BC, the place Midia, also known as the wilderness. If you can put yourself in the thinking of Moses in this time, he had everything, I mean everything. As we talk about the spiritual concept of the wilderness, he was a prince in one of the greatest lands on the planet, full of prosperity and excitement. He had servants and books and education and friends. He had his own troop of men. He had everything, resources, gold, fine clothes, learning, and a warmth of adopted mother who loved him. Oh, the food must have been plentiful and very good. And yes, he was the highest in society. Now in the wilderness, he has nothing. Only his shame and anger and bitterness at his past. He must have been unable to remove the thought of the Egyptian he killed from his mind. He must have pictured his face every day. Every day he remembered his past, and every day he thought of these things and prayed to his God to save him. What a miserable place to be. Dust everywhere, and little to eat and drink. Why did he have to kill the Egyptian? And now he was the lowest in society. But it was all part of God's plan. And I don't mean the killing of the Egyptian was God's plan, but the pulling of Moses away from it all to the wilderness was very typical. It is very biblical. And why the wilderness? Why the desert? It's actually simple when you look at the history of other Bible characters. For 40 years, he would never see another Hebrew. He wouldn't see Aaron or Miriam or any other friend. Rejected by the Hebrews and the Egyptians, rejected by nearly all, Moses would be on his own, possibly thinking his days were over, retiring to a shepherd life in the wilderness, the lowest in society. David had to have thought the same. How would he one day be king, rejected by the current king, or Joseph? And how would his dreams come true? And here is Moses. What is it all about, the upbringing and education and calling? What about those dreams of the heart? But what they all missed, and quite frankly, it's very easy to miss in the wilderness, was the fact that they were being prepared. See, God trains his sons and daughters in the wilderness. It is a place of invisibility. It is in the wilderness where we are no threat to the enemy. Wilderness provides no threat to the enemy, but it is the character that comes out of it that forges a man and woman of God. It is the place of the wilderness where man learns from God alone and no other man the characteristics of Jesus, which he taught in Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. From this verse, in summary, those who experience and learn the wilderness learn humility, repentance, meekness, spiritual hunger, mercy, purity, peacemaking. These are the characteristics of Jesus. And in this lonely place, Jesus reveals his friendship and fellowship, which disdains those who are weary and lonely. He reveals his human side of compassion and mercy and friendship. This is what Abraham, Joseph, David, and Moses had to learn to have the character to walk into their promise. Without this character, they probably would have blown or lost their opportunities and fell into pride or self-centeredness or simply unrecoverable sin. It is interesting to study some characters who do not have the character-building wilderness. Saul was anointed king and immediately thrust into leadership to only die a demon-possessed enemy of God. Solomon would end up bowing a knee to foreign idols and building altars to demons, though considered the most wise man to ever walk the planet. They did not have the character to handle the blessing. According to the book of Acts, Moses lives in the desert of Midian for 40 years. 40 years in Egypt, learning the character of Father God and royalty. 40 years in the wilderness, learning the character of the Son learning to be a priest, only to leave and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is common in the wilderness years to have little written about this time period because there is little human interaction. It is a time when the primary Bible character grows in their relationship with God, when time is in abundance and distractions are not present, when fellowship with man is limited but fellowship with God is unlimited. This model of undocumented times in the Bible is evident in Jesus as well. There is nothing recorded of factual history between the dates of 12 and 30 for Jesus Christ himself. Though later, John would write of his three years of ministry between the age of 30 to 33 in John 21-25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And I say all this, but there is life in the wilderness and always a story, but it's not always written. Here is what little we have of Moses' account in the wilderness. He does get married, and he does have a son. He shows up in a region known as Midia, where he appears to have rescued seven daughters of a priest of Midia named Raul at a well. Something interesting here. Raul is a priest in Midia, which appears to actually be a godly priest. And here's another example of a non-Hebrew priest like Malchazetek, or Job. He makes a friend in Raul who offers his daughter Zipporah to Moses to marry, and they have a son, and he becomes a shepherd in the wilderness, which is uh, considered one of the lowest jobs in all of society. This is the only reference to his 40 years until we reach his experience at Mount Horeb at the end of the 40 years. Fascinatingly little told of a man who is about to change the world. Exodus 2, 23 
During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Remember the timer we talked about with the last episode? Well, the timer's up. Time's up, devil. God's Redeemer is ready. God is about to move. Everything's in place. Moses' gifts are trained and honed, and his character is sufficient to sustain the challenge ahead of him. One last note on character. This is what Paul says about Christians in Romans 8.29, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If we are to be transformed into the image of Christ, we must be like clay in the hands of the Maker. Willing and humble and meek in our adherence to the one who molds the vessel into its unique purpose. We cannot be like Pharaoh who shouts at the maker and questions him and doesn't allow his purpose to be accomplished. When I think of humble men and nations, there's something that makes American early Rome so great. Take a man like George Washington. He leads the American rebellion with his army and fights the English for years. And when the English surrender at Yorktown and the war winds down, George Washington is left with his army and a country that needs leadership. What does he do? On December 23, 1783, he resigned his commission as commander-in-chief, and his actions stunned Europe. George III, King of England, called Washington the greatest character of the age because of this. Washington resigned from the army and retired to his farm in Virginia. He decides not to be one of the kings of the earth and considered a great man in history, but instead he retires to his farm. He would, of course, be recalled to be the first president, but this is exactly what Cincinnatus did in ancient Rome. He was not searching for power. He understood his place, and he had the rare, very rare character of humility which would allow their countries to sustain republican ideals and rise to a world status one day. Moses, way before this, would learn this in the wilderness. Power was not his, it was God's. He was just God's instrument. He would be God's man on earth, or like the Bible says, he would be a friend of God. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When Moses acknowledged the change, God spoke to him. When all was thought to be lost, all was about to be gained. Here is what happened in summary. When Moses reached the edge of the wilderness with his flock, when he reached to the end of the wilderness, when he found his end, he found God. When his flesh was exhausted and his dreams were fully submitted to God, they were reawakened in one moment. Moses arrived at Horeb, the mountain of God, and there an angel appeared to him in flames from within a bush. Moses saw it wasn't burning, and he thought, I will go over and see this thing. And when he did, God spoke to him. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God proceeded to speak to him and confirmed he heard the cry of the Hebrews and that he would get them out and give them Canaan. Then he drops the bomb on Moses. I am sending you, Moses, 
Moses replies with the first of his five questions or doubts. In typical God fashion, he doesn't answer this question, but he replies, I will be with you. Moses asks his second question, Who shall I say sent me? And God answers it with the question, I am who I am. And God proceeds to give him detail on his assignment. Moses' question number three, What if they don't believe me? And then at that moment, the wonders start. God's answer, what is in your hand? Is that amazing? God asks him what is in his hand. That's a question for the listeners out there. What is in your hand? In Moses' hand was a nearly worthless walking stick. And instead, it becomes a symbol of God's power. Moses throws the stick on the ground at God's command, and it becomes a snake. He picks it up, and it becomes a staff again. Next, his hand becomes temporarily leprous. Moses' doubt number four. He says, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, some say Moses had a stuttering problem, but in Acts, it says that Moses was powerful in speech and action. So they are contradictory, which means there's actually a hidden truth here. So I'm going to quote Chuck Missler on this one. Uh, When there's a contradiction in the Bible, it's actually a road marker or flag that says study here or research here. So instead of letting contradictions lead to doubt, like Moses is talking now, they can actually lead you to deeper understanding of the Bible. So they're probably both true. He had a probably had a temporary ailment due to the trauma he suffered in Egypt and, and his extended time in the wilderness, which it's clear most likely that his um, his speech impediment or slow of speech was healed um, later on in his life. But then again, we don't know for sure. So God's answer was, I created your mouth. And then Moses, uh, this is his last response. It's doubt number five. He says, send someone else. Then it says God's anger burned against Moses. And I used to get concerned about this because of God's frustration with Moses. But but Moses was really reacting in fear. His answers were only excuses. It may be better understood that God was angry with Moses for allowing fear to control him. God's answer, your brother will join you. And Aaron will be with you, and you will both work together in this assignment. All of these human emotions and reactions in the Bible are for many reasons, but one of them is to remind us of our humanity so we can learn from each other. Moses questioned God, and questioning God can be good and bad. Let me explain. There's lots of questioning of God in the Bible. Job did it unsuccessfully. Zechariah did it unsuccessfully. But Gideon somehow did it successfully. And Mary did it very well. Excuses can be laced as questions. At the root is the spirit behind the questioning. We are called to have a relationship with God. In this context, question and answer are just part of normal relationship conversation. But excuses posed as questions are just excuses. And when God comes to answer our prayers, we cannot be surprised and unwilling to be used. We should never make excuses when God wants to use us to change the world. Authentic questions are, what can I do? What is my assignment? What do you require of me? What is our goal? See, he wants us to co-labor in our assignments. Imagine it like a cooperative business meeting. 
God is the boss, and he requires things of us like faithfulness and obedience, but he really wants is a heartfelt joy and excitement in life and cooperation in us to work together in his plan. And if we lack this, we can ask God to help us with these things. So what happened here is that Moses spent so long in the wilderness, he almost lost track of his fire, so much so his Levitical anger was reduced to a whimper. He was afraid when the time came to fulfill his heart's desire. Just like the Hebrews who overstayed their time in Egypt, Moses let the wilderness shape him too much, instead of God shaping him in the wilderness. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, the Christian walk can be described in the context of uh, climbing a mountain. The entire goal is the summit the height of the climb, where the greatest vision is and the potential and influence in life, where we are to achieve our God-given purpose. But to get there, we must get to the mountain, which looks impossible from the bottom. Where there's only a narrow trail with no vision, sometimes the climb is rocky and up and down, and sometimes covered, sometimes exposed with all types of terrain. In the case of Moses in the wilderness, he was in the exposed, lonely part of the mountain with no vision. In fact, he had probably nearly forgotten it and nearly given up. In the wilderness, man asked God many questions. Where am I going? What am I doing? The answer is simple. Just be faithful. What if Moses gave up in the wilderness? He would have missed all the fun. In the wilderness, which many people are in today, is a place of battling the extremes of God and working through the flesh. In the wilderness is a place where we completely allow Jesus to transform us and our character, to prepare us for our future. Do you feel rejected by friends and people? Seek God. Are you not producing any or little fruit in your life currently, despite your hard work? Welcome to the wilderness years. This is a place where God himself is your teacher. Isn't that amazing? If he seems quiet, the teacher is always quiet when he's taking a test. Let the potter mold you like clay into his image so that you will be prepared and ready for your next assignment in life when you will see something that is burning that is impossible for you to pass by. Then God will change your season and change your life and you will walk into that season of miracles which will be more than you can think or imagine. Now that the stage is set, we'll attempt to describe the Exodus from a different perspective in the next podcast episode. We will zoom out from the personal level in the story of Moses to the national or heavenly viewpoint and try to describe the warfare that takes place in the heavens and on earth at the time of Exodus. I hope you enjoy this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to check out the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, please email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.